This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Unspeakable Joy. But tonight, I've got to do something for just about 30 minutes. We've got to vote the preacher out, vote me in, but I promise you, at the end of the message, we'll put him right back in. Unofficially, we have to do that. Tonight, we have to act as if he and his wife aren't here. Tonight, if you're going to get the full crux of what the Holy Spirit has for you, it's just got to be me and you and God. I want to talk to you tonight on how to pray for your pastor. It's no lie, no joke, no secret or no hidden thing that the church of Jesus Christ is under attack. The adversary, our, our, our enemy, the devil himself despises the church. He despises any church, but he really despises a church that loves God. And any church that loves God is always led by a man that loves God. That's just the way it happens to be. Tonight I want you to look in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. And I want you to look in verse number 1. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse number 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to remember what's going on in the second book to the Thessalonians. The Apostle Paul has written this follow-up letter to this group of believers that had a bunch of questions, especially about the coming of the Lord. And he follows up and he writes the book of 2 Thessalonians to them in order to answer questions that they have. And he, he gets to the end of the book. Now in chapter number 1, he's answered some questions about what it's going to be like when the Lord comes back. Then he writes in chapter number 2 about the man of sin, the Antichrist, and what he's going to do after the Lord comes back. Now you and I would probably agree that the coming of the Lord is an important doctrine. You and I would probably agree that what the Antichrist is going to do during that tribulation period, that's an important doctrine. But Paul gets to chapter number 3, and he says, as important as it is, the coming of the Lord, you be right about that. And as important as it is that you be right about the age of the Antichrist, he said, just as important, finally, pray for us. Now here is the mighty apostle to the Gentile church, the apostle Paul, the writer of more than half of the New Testament, the apostle Paul, the man that would build church after church and give us the New Testament, the apostle Paul. And Paul makes a little admonition. Finally, pray for us. 
The word pray, it is the Greek word, and that word has a twofold meaning. The, the word, it literally means, number one, go to God and beg Him. Whenever you pray for somebody, whenever you prostrate yourself before God, you don't just go in and, and give a little now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I call that patty cake Christianity. Paul said whenever you go to God for me, I'm not interested in patty cake Christianity. We're in a war, baby doll. We ain't got time for patty cake Christians. God is looking for some warriors that are going to grab hold of the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith and lock horns with the devil and resist him and to get down in the grime and in the dirt and lay hold of the horns of the altar. Where are the warriors of Jesus Christ? Where is the army of God? We got a bunch of people that think when they signed up that they signed up for a cruise ship. I didn't sign up to be on a cruise ship. I signed up to be on a battleship. And I am not waking up every day seeing how God can tickle my fancy. I am looking to tick the devil off. I'm not looking to tickle fancies. I'm looking to go to battle every day to see souls ripped out of the gates of hell, planted in the kingdom of heaven, written down in the Lamb's book of life, and taken from darkness to light. If you think that you and I are going to be able to just bow our little heads and, and cross our little hands and hope God hears us, honey, I'm talking about that old fashioned Holy Ghost, Baptist, Nazarene, snot slinging, died in the blood prayer where you get a hold of God. Amen. The second thing that it means, it means to lay prostrate. Now, I don't think you've got to lay on your face every time you pray. If you've got ADHD like I've got, you lay down, the first thing you start thinking about are the dogs and the cats and the sheep and the goats, and I ain't got none of those things. I just start thinking about them. What it has the idea of doing is being solely and wholly committed to that thing. It means having your mind wrapped around. When Paul said, pray for us, he said, when you talk to God for me, I want you to make sure that you know exactly what you're doing. Why would Paul ask these believers to pray for him? Two reasons. Number one, he was a man. Brothers and sisters, every person that stands in a pulpit and holds the office of the pastor of the church, I wish I could tell you that we were superhuman. I wish I could tell you we didn't have fear. I wish I could tell you we had all the answers. But at the end of the day, the best of men are men at best. At the end of the day, the man that fills the pulpit has flesh like you have flesh. He's got pain like you've got pain. He's got burdens like you've got burdens. He is a man. He has battles like you have battles. His family has struggles like you have struggles. Now I believe you ought to hold the pastor in the highest regard. I believe a pastor ought to be different. I believe a pastor ought to act different. I believe a pastor ought to be in every way, shape, form, and fashion, above and beyond. But at the end of the day, he's still a man. And if you don't like that, take that up with God. I didn't create him. He did. Number two, the second reason that you pray for him is because he's a minister. You see, God has seen fit 
to take the office that He gives to a human to be the way that He ministers to your heart. Don't you wish that God would open up the heavens and give healing out of the heavens? I do. Don't you wish that God would send the angels in the Calvary? I do. But do you know what He's done? He's called a man to minister. When you're in the lowest of lows, He'll speak. When you're in the highest of highs, He'll speak. When you've got fear, He speaks. He's the minister. Now, brothers and sisters, I know exactly what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, look, you're just the preacher and you just want us to do what you say. Honey, I'm leaving in 45 minutes and I'm heading back to my house. I don't care one way, shape, form, or fashion. It's got nothing to do with me. What I'm trying to tell you is we've let the devil drive a wedge between pew and pulpit, between people and pastor. And at the end of the day, we have forgotten that we're in it together. It's not a battle between this place and that place. It's when you do your part, he does his part, he does his part because you're able to do your part and when you're doing your part and he's doing his part, the Holy Ghost does his part and we all have the victory all because you've prayed for your pastor. Why do you pray for your pastor? I'll give you three reasons. Number one, because he's the leader. At the end of the day, I didn't write the Bible, you didn't write the Bible, he didn't write the Bible, his wife didn't write the Bible, you, your family didn't write the Bible, because I promise you if I'd wrote the Bible, I probably would not have put a preacher in charge of the church. I probably would have made a committee in charge of the church. You know why? Because then I could blame the committee when something went wrong. But I didn't write the Bible, did I? I know what people think. And those people probably just need to get right with God. Well, he just likes the power. If you think there's power in the pastorate, you'd misunderstand what the pastorate is all about. The servant of all is servant to all. He's not master over any. But he is the leader. Can I give you some examples of what happens when God's people get out of line with God's program? There was a group of people back in the Old Testament that thought they didn't need God's leader, a man named Moses, and so they thought that they would get in charge and get in line, and they told that man named Aaron, they said, why don't you build us a golden calf, and we'll have us a worship service around it. We don't need Moses. He's up there with God, and we don't even know if he's alive or dead. Honey, they got to dance around that golden calf in wickedness and idolatry. And it made God so mad that he split the earth wide open and sent a group of people alive into hell. Brothers and sisters, God has a program. And I didn't write the program. Don't look at me like you wrote the program. Ain't none of us wrote the program. Listen, I know exactly why Christians have trouble trusting preachers. But hear me. Don't let a bad apple make you ruin the whole tree. We all know there's some bad apples out there. There's some men that have messed up. There's men that have ruined your heart and ruined my heart. I've been betrayed by preachers. You've been betrayed by preachers. We ain't going to patty chip tiptoe or patty cake around that thing. I know there's some men out there and they are absolute hirelings, but God be my helper. I'm not going to let a bunch of backslidden, good for nothing, low down, twice child of hell that does not know the God of heaven. Let me ruin a God called man from doing what he called 
called to do. Listen, don't hold one man responsible for another man's mess up. It's not fair for him to do it to you and it's not fair for you to do it to him. He's the leader. And hear me now, if the man is the leader, where he goes, guess where you go. Why should you pray for him? I want the pastor going in the right direction. Because as he goes, so my family goes. He's not just the leader. Number two, he carries a load. He carries something on his shoulders that people cannot comprehend. Brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, you have burdens. They have burdens. They have pains. They have problems. They have issues. They have situations. You've got heartbreaks. You've got things that bother you. You've got sickness. You've got cancer. You've got pains. You've got all of these things. But there is something that happens whenever God yokes a heart of a man with a church and you really get the man that God wants. Do you know what God does? It's a supernatural thing that eyes cannot see and ears cannot hear. God takes the heart and the pain of the people and He supernaturally lays it on the man in ways you cannot comprehend. That's how a man can come into the room with you at your hospital bed and cry when you're crying. That's how a man can answer your phone call in the middle of the night and pray for you as if it was his own family. But you know the problem with pastors? They don't just carry your burdens. They have their own. They have family. They have children and grandchildren. They have sickness and they have heartbreak. And every now and again, the load can get so heavy on them. And they look around and the old dirty devil comes to them and says, Don't you know nobody cares about you? Don't you know nobody's thinking about you? Don't you know nobody's matter? You matter to anybody? And all of a sudden, some little old saint of God in the church gets in her prayer closet somewhere and she gets down on her knees because God has burdened her heart in the middle of the night and she sits down on that little stool and she says God I may not have much money I may not have much power but I'm laying down before you right now and I'm asking you to go into where my pastor is and lift his arms and honey the God of heaven sends those ministering angels down to where that preacher is and when he's so burned down with weight Holy Ghost power comes up under his arms all because somebody prayed somebody prayed the third reason that you ought to pray for your pastor is because of the little ones it concerns. Can I ask you a question? You think that just when you and your husband or wife are talking, you're the only one listening? There's little baby ears in the back seat. There's somebody hearing that. And I'm going to tell you what we're doing and we don't have any idea that we're doing it when we question things and when we, we, we say things about people in the church, the pastor, deacons, trustees, secretaries, children's pastors, youth pastors, whatever, and we say those things, we don't realize we're planting seeds down inside of the hearts of our little children and those are seeds that are not easily uprooted. I learned this lesson the hard way. 
I had a preacher back first part of the year broke my heart, shattered my heart, talked about me, talked about my wife, talked about the ministry. I mean, just ripped my ever-loving heart out. And me and my wife would talk about it. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm saved, but man, I'm glad that I can't lose that because if I did, some of the things I said would cause me to lose it. I'm telling you right now. Man, I'm telling you, he made me madder than a junkyard dog. I could have bit a ten-penny nail in half and shoved it in his fingernails. I mean, he made me mad as a devil. And so I was talking to my wife in the car about it, and she was talking. We were, we were being Christian about it. We were talking out of our mouth like right there, so that our kids couldn't hear right there. About two months later, me and that preacher had got things right. God had supernaturally put that thing back together, and it was so wonderful. And we were talking in the car, and I was, I was scheduled to go preach for him, and God had, God had put that thing back together. And my 12-year-old son... Heard the name of that preacher. And he said, Daddy, ain't that the preacher we hate? You talk about a dagger that penetrated my soul. You know what I realized? I was easily able to get over it. But that'll be something. It'll take years to rip out of my boy's heart. Brothers and sisters, right now, whenever we don't pray for our pastor, there are things that our children have to endure. There are things that our teenagers have to endure. There are things that our children have to go through. But ladies and gentlemen, it's so sad. When a pastor falls, it affects the whole church. When a pastor messes up, it affects the whole body. And it affects generations after generations. And we don't even put two and two together. But aren't you glad that you've got the ability to go to the throne room of God and say Lord I'm praying you'll safeguard that man I'm praying you'll wrap a shield around that man God when you do and when he goes to heaven in glory my children will know that there has been a prophet of God among us so tonight I'm going to give you three things I want you to pray over your pastor every day you live every day you live every time you pray I want you to pray these three things over your pastor. You say, I don't agree with this. Then don't pray it. I'm talking to those of you that know what I'm talking about. You say, I don't like him. Well, I don't like you. I don't know what to tell you. I'm still asking you to pray these three things. You say, I don't agree with him. That's fine. Talk to God about it. I still want you to pray these three things. You say, I've been hurt. So have I. Let's still pray these three things. Tyler, what do I pray over my pastor and his wife? Number one, every day of your life, pray that God would anoint him. Pray that God would baptize him in the power of the Spirit of God. Now, I know we're Baptists, but I'm telling you, you and I got to understand there is a difference in a man that has been unctionized by the Holy Ghost and there's a difference in a man that ain't been unctionized by the Holy Ghost. You know how I know? Because I've heard both of them. You ever heard a preacher? And I mean, he had all the education that man could muster. He had so many degrees, you called him Dr. Thermometer. I mean, he had PhDs and he had UDs and he had MDs and he had ODs. And I mean, he had every PhD. You know what a PhD is, don't you? 
it's a post hole digger. That's exactly what a PhD is. PhDs mean nothing. They, they're absolutely useless at the end of the day because here is the point. It's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, I've had men stand up and they called themselves Dr. This and they called themselves Reverend That and they stood up and I mean they had three points and they had it alliterated and they had the poems and they had the stories and they had it and you look out across the sanctuary, 45 people are asleep. People are looking at their checkbooks and they're looking at their cell phones and they're trying to balance this and they're trying to balance that. And then I've been on the other side and I've seen a man absolutely could not find a complete sentence if you gave him directions to it. He had never been to a Bible college. He'd never sat in a school somewhere. He could barely even read the Bible itself. But honey, when he stood up, it was like the heavens opened up. And when he opened up his mouth, it was like God came down and there was something about what he said was the negative end of the battery and the positive end of the battery was on the inside of your heart and the Holy Ghost had brought those two things together. You say, what's the difference between those things? It's the unction and the anointing of the Spirit of God and we live in a day where anointing is absent. Here's the problem. A pastor can't pray anointing on himself. It would breed pride. Do you know how I'm able to stand up and preach? Because I got a little saint of God that serves on our ministry board and knows I'm preaching right now. Before she went to church tonight, she got it in her prayer closet somewhere. Nobody will ever know her name. It'll never be written in lights. But that little lady got in that closet and she said, Now, Lord, you've given me a responsibility. She doesn't have a lot of money. She's not able to give a whole lot of money. She can't sing. She can't do all that. But she got in her closet somewhere and she said, Now, Tyler is somewhere tonight preaching the gospel and I'm begging you in the name of the Father, Son, and sweet Holy Ghost, wherever he's at, I'm praying you pour the holy oil of heaven on his life and let fire fall on him let fire fall on him God anoint him and if you get anything out of this message it won't be because of me it will be because some little saint of God prayed the anointing over my life Every Saturday night, instead of figuring out who's going to beat who at some stupid ball game, why don't you get on your knees somewhere and say, Lord, my pastor's probably battling in a room in a study somewhere. I'm praying right now that you'd walk into that room and I'm praying you would pour your holy oil all over his life. God, illuminate his mind, open up his heart, loose his lips. God, set him free in the name of Jesus and anoint him. Number two. Every day of your life, don't just pray that God would anoint him. Pray that God would encourage him. We live in the United States of America. A precious and holy land. Used to be holy, rather. A sanctified place that God set apart to be a beacon of light. But that nation has turned her back on the God of glory. And when that nation turned her back on the God of glory, God took the light of his presence off of that land. And where there is no light, there can only be one thing, darkness. We don't understand what that darkness means. Have you ever wondered why there is so much depression in our land? It's because the depressing hand of our adversary weighs on our land. 
There are people in this room right now deal with depression day by day and you've never dealt with depression before. You're not a depressed person. You know what that is? We live under the oppressive spirit of the demons and the devils of hell. And if you think you live under that, what do you think this man of God lives under day in and day out? He lives under that weight of you're not making a difference. You can't do anything. And then he's got pains and he's got problems and he's got family and you've got family and they've got family and the devil's constantly pushing him down. Ladies and gentlemen, Moses felt the weight of that as he stood up on top of the mountain as the Amorites were fighting the people of God and he had the rod of God in his hand and as long as Moses was up, the people won. But the weight got so heavy and his arms started going down. But God raised up two men, a man named Aaron on one side and a man named Hur on the other side and they said, Moses, we're going to do everything in our power to keep the power up, to keep the spirit up, to keep you up. And when they stood in their spot, the people of God won. Ladies and gentlemen, the devil is constantly weighing down the arms of a preacher, but you know what you've got the power to do every time you get on your knees somewhere, every time you go somewhere and say, God, I'm asking you right now, lift the arms of the man of God. Lift the spirits of the man of God. Bless his wife. Encourage her, God. Build her up under the most holy faith. Whenever the man of God is up, the people of God win. Boy, I'm telling you. Can I tell you all a story if you promise not to judge me? Okay. Man, I preached a sermon in my church several years ago, and I mean, I rip-roared, son. I walked the pews. I swung from the chandeliers. I danced on the piano. I mean, I preached. I stuttered. I stammered. I spit. I did everything you could possibly do. And then some. And I stood at the back door and was shaking hands. I hate doing that. Thank God for COVID. I didn't have to shake hands anymore. That's the only thing good came out of COVID. I stopped shaking hands with people. Man, I, I just, people stand at the back door and you got to shake all their hands. And, and I said, don't you know every church has got that person that feels it's their spiritual gift to bring everybody down? If you don't think you've got one of those people, you probably are that person. Okay? All right. Stay with me. I'm standing there. She looked at me. She said, that was one of the sorriest sermons I've ever heard in my life. And I'll be honest with you. I was stunned. I knew it wasn't my finest hour, but I didn't think it was the sorriest sermon man had ever preached. It, it, so, it so cut me. It, it absolutely gutted me. I went home that whole afternoon. I tried to get a message for the night. And I stood up that night and I delivered before the God of heaven, I delivered the sorriest message man has ever heard. Do you know why I did that? Because one person used one word and ripped my soul out. I had a man one time, our little girl, our little Ella Faith, Steve, is, is, is almost 10. When she was born, she was born at 31 weeks. She was really sick when she was born, stayed in the NICU for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And man, when she came along, she was, 
We, were, we thought she'd be okay when she was born. My wife got a stomach virus and because of the vomiting, she went into early labor and that's why she had the baby early. And when the baby was born, little Ella, she had, she, when she came out, she was so fat, her lungs couldn't pump the oxygen to her little body. She came out at 31 weeks weighing five and a half pounds. If she'd stayed in there 40 weeks, she'd have been a 42-pound baby. Man, she came out. I've been pastoring for nine months. We had 32 people on Sunday morning. It was Sunday morning. My wife was in the hospital having, having had the baby. The baby was in the hospital. Our church was so poor at the time. We didn't have enough money to pay a guest a preacher to come in and preach the sermon on that Sunday morning. So I had to do it. I had my wife in the hospital. I had my baby dying on life support in the hospital. I had all of that going on. And I had to stand up on a Sunday morning. And I couldn't do a thing. I, I couldn't do a thing. I stood up there and I opened my Bible and I just started crying. I wept. I sobbed. I, I mean, I, I had what I call the snubs. You know when somebody just, their shoulders are shaking, they're crying so hard. Now listen, I'm six foot, 195 pounds. I'm not exactly what you would call a crier. But man, when I cry, it's an ugly sight. And I mean, I was just crying. My, my shoulders were shaking. And there was a man visiting our church that day. And he come up off of the second row. And he came right here to the foot of the pulpit. And I thought he was coming up to shake my hand or to hug me or something like that. He came up and he said this. This the words he said. He said, if you're going to run with the big dogs, you got to pay the price. I had no idea what that fool was talking about. I still don't know what he was talking about. I'm sobbing. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's a crazy story. That's exactly what I thought. There was a lady in our choir. Bless her heart. She came out of that choir she was about five foot two. She was, a very, she was a big lady, but the sweetest, sweetest lady you'd ever meet in your life. Son, she, everybody in the church heard him say that. I mean, he said it loud, and I'm crying. Ain't nobody talking. He said that. And that lady came out of the choir. She bounded down the side steps of that little shotgun building. She came a, came a tooling down to that guy, and he was walking back to his pew. Son, she took her belly. So help me God, Brother Mike. She took her belly and buckled him up against the side wall. And this is what, these were her words exactly. Uh, now listen, everybody in the church is watching this beatdown go on in the house of God. This is right during the sermon time. Y'all think I'm crazy. If I'm lying, I'm telling you right now. Right there. She bumped him up against the wall and everybody's listening. She said, let me tell you something. If you ever say a word to my pastor again, I'll kill you in the name of Jesus. Then she, <laughs> so him, then she turned around from the side wall and she went, I got your back, preacher. <laughs> now, I don't know how spiritual that story was. But I'm going to tell you what happened when she did that. And she threw that thumb up to me and said, I got your back, preacher. I knew right then. Oh, oh hell. Oh, hell may be coming against me. But there was somebody in my church that had my back. 
me tell you right now, there'll be days that preacher's going to walk in and he's got all hell fighting against him, but when he knows that you're behind him and you walk by him and just say, Preacher, I want you to know I've been praying for you. And you walk by his wife and say, Ma'am, I want you to know I've been praying for you. You'll never know what that'll do to a man in the lowest hour. And God knows that if you'll just pray, Oh, God, encourage the preacher. You may never know what that'll do. God anoint him. God encourage him. Here's the last prayer you pray. Oh God, please bless him. Bless him. Every day you, you wake up and you pray for your pastor, pray this prayer. God, bless him. Bless every aspect of his life. Bless his physical man with health. Bless his emotional man with soundness. Bless his financial man with abundance. Bless his spiritual man with strength. I don't know where in the world Baptists got this idea that a preacher ought to be broke as a joke. I know where we got the idea because we saw a bunch of charlatans out here living it up high on the hall, rolling around in their Rolls Royces, rolling around in their 92,000 square foot mansion. I know all that. But remember this, do not punish every God-called man because a few jokes have made a joke out of the things of God. I know a lot of preachers. I know a lot of pastors. God has blessed me. I've been able to go far and wide. I know many men. And I'm telling you right now, I do not know one man. I do not know one pastor that does what he does to get a paycheck. He would do what he did whether the people were able to pay him or not pay him. Ladies and gentlemen, at the end of the day, it ought to be your desire to see your pastor blessed physically in his health, blessed financially, blessed spiritually, blessed emotionally. Oh God, bless my pastor. Now listen, I told y'all the other night, I am old-fashioned and I am old-school. I come from a different generation. I'm a 95-year-old man in a 37-year-old man's body. I know that. I got that. But hear me, I am from a generation of people. And I've been taught by a generation of people. And I firmly believe this. I don't care who believes this. I'm telling you, I know this is the truth. If you are good to the men of God, God will make sure that He is good to you. I can't put that in writing. I'm just telling you that's the way it is. I grew up raised by a group of people. They didn't have a lot of money, but you know what they had? They had gardens and they had farms. I was raised in McLeansville, North Carolina. That was tobacco picking USA. Man, you could preach on anything in our church, Pastor. You could preach on alcohol and they'd shout you down. You could preach on shacking up and they'd shout you down. But if you preached on cigarettes or chewing tobacco, they'd vote you out of the church. I mean, that was a tobacco picking group of people. They had far I don't preach on cigarettes. I'll preach on everything but I ain't going to preach on cigarettes. I got that fear down deep inside of me. Listen I mean they would preach on absolutely everything but those people in that church they had chickens and they had cows. They didn't have much money but this is what they do almost every Sunday. Our pastor drove a little and I had a 1992 Caprice Classic, Chevrolet Caprice Classic. You remember those old cars? They look like long boats with four wheels. Every Sunday them old farmers would pull up and they would lay the tailgate down on their truck. And they would unload a whole handful of bushels of corn. And they'd load it in the back of his Caprice Classic. And then one little old lady would have a bag of tomatoes. And she'd put it in the back of his car. 
No, the little lady, I'm telling you, I saw this happen one time. I saw a lady honest pull out of the back of her trunk a chicken that was just flailing. She'd had it in the back of her trunk. She took it out of the farm. She said, now, preacher, I want you to take this home, and I want you to fix it for lunch. He's got a 1992 Caprice Classic. He's going to put a chicken in the trunk of his car and bounce it all the way down the streets in McLeansville, North Carolina. Here's what I'm telling you. Those, those little farmers in our, in our community, I'll tell you what happened in our community. We had a church of about... 250 people. We would build buildings and we never went into debt. I've never seen a church that did not go into debt. Like that that church would not. They did not. They would build buildings and somehow they would pay cash for those buildings. You know what they would have? They would have bumper crops and they would take the, the, the goods from the bumper crops and they'd take it to the farmer's market and they would sell. Do you know what God had done? They had seen God. They had seen God had seen those people pour those blessings out on that preacher and God had said the rain on their field. God had sent the fertilizer in their field because you cannot bless what God has called and God not bless what you have. I'm telling you, that's the way God operates. Now, I don't have a garden. Well, I had a garden. I, I had a little area planted out for a garden pasture and I went out there to till it up. And a baby rabbit stuck its head up out of the middle of that thing. I didn't have the heart to till that thing up and kill that rabbit. That thing's just right now. It's the rabbit hole is still in my garden. I don't have all that. But you know what I do have? I go to Chick-fil-A about 82 times a week. You know what I'll do? I'll get a little gift card. And I'll walk by a preacher somewhere. I'll do my best. I'll say, buy you lunch. A precious little lady in this church the other night heard me say Chick-fil-A Sunday. She came by me Monday night. You gave us two little gift cards and bought our lunch today. Do you think God doesn't pay attention to stuff like that? I'm just telling you. Every day you live, you pray, oh God, please bless him. Do you know why God does that and why that works? Because when you're in step with your pastor, you're not standing behind him. You're standing arm in arm with him. So I want you to imagine that I got five people on both sides of me standing arm in arm. And all these people are praying, God, pour it on him. When God pours the bucket out on me, what do you think is going to happen to all these people that are standing arm in arm with me? God's going to splash it all over them because God's buckets are always bigger than our prayers. Beloved, it's time for me to resign. I can no longer be your pastor. And we've got to vote the, new, the old pastor back in. He ain't been gone long. But tonight, we're going to start his tenure the way it ought to be started. By praying for him.